episode 156 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. The Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. The Ground School app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com. Hello everyone, it's Emily, also known as Pilot Emily Online. I am currently a laid-off Q400 captain and just trying to make the best of the current uh, situation we're in. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. Today's episode is part two with Pilot Emily. If you haven't listened to the first part, I do recommend that you go back and search Pilot Emily and listen to her full story. We recorded about a year ago, right when everything was going down, right before the furloughs did come through. So it's very interesting in part two to see what she has done with the furlough, how she's been able to pivot, how she's been able to, to hop into the YouTube world and Instagram and be successful at it. It's a, it's a great story and I'm very thankful for her to be open to share everything she's going through and talk a little bit about the mentality of a furloughed pilot because as pilots, we identify as a pilot. It's who we are. You take that away from us and we don't know who we are. So it's very interesting to see how she went through that, the struggle she went through and how she was able to cope and pivot and try to be the best version of herself every single day. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. That helps us be seen on the algorithm and more people to listen to this podcast. If you want more pilots, we need more reviews. That way they can get this in the ears of the people that need to hear it. Uh, you can also please follow us on Instagram at Pilot Pilot. That's where I'm the most active. You can DM me, comment. I try to respond to all the DMs and comments as I can, but I do try to do my best. And if you want to support the show, you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Pilot to Pilot. We post exclusive content on there that you can only see on Patreon. Aviation, I hope you're having a great day. I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So without any further ado, here's Pilot Emily. Emily, what's going on? Welcome back to the Pilot to Pilot podcast. Hi, Justin. Thank you so much for having me again. I know. I'm excited to have you. I wish that you started it by saying that you are a current and you are flying right now and not a laid off Q400 captain. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but that's the truth of the situation. <laughs> so let's talk kind of just about aviation. Uh, what's been going on since last time we talked? I think, I feel like it was maybe a little more than a year ago or a year ago that we started talking, um, that we did our first podcast, I should say. If you haven't listened to that, go listen to that now. But what has been going on? What's been up with you for the past year? Yeah, I was actually trying to go back and think of where we were when when we had talked last time and so much has happened since um but in terms of you know even just the last year or so i had a bit of a whirlwind you know uh situation kind of went down as i'm sure so many different pilots have experienced um you know just due to the whole covid-19 pandemic and the entire situation but i had the amazing, amazing opportunity to, you know, continue working as a regional pilot. I was a regional first officer up until the February of 2020, where I was, um, or I guess January, where I had started to do my upgrade training. So I was able to do my upgrade and got upgraded as a captain on the Dash 8, the Q400 at my airline, which was an absolutely incredible experience. I was so excited to go through it. It was a lot of hard work. I actually did a little bit of a vlog um, on my YouTube about it, which was kind of neat to be able to share it with people. 
And unfortunately, through the whole chaos, as I mentioned, I was one of the unlucky pilots that got um, laid off. Or I think as as a lot of people in the States refer to it is as a furlough. Um, so I still am technically, you know, linked with my current airline, but unfortunately just at home. So not flying, so not on the roster, et cetera. So since then, I obviously had to try to figure out what the hell I was going to do. Um, you know, no idea of how long this was going to last and what the repercussions were going to be. So I tried to pivot. I tried to pivot as best as I could. And I got on social media and tried to turn the, you know, decent following that I already had on YouTube and on Instagram into something more. And, you know, next thing we know, uh, I was able to reach, you know, a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube by, you know, doing educational videos, vlogs, sharing, of course, um, some flight sim, Microsoft flight sim, uh, videos, as well as streaming for group flights. And that's kind of what I've been up to since. <laughs> so awesome. lots has gone down since we've talked last. What? So you talked about how you're at the the high, the highest of highs. You know, like you just became a captain on the Q400. It's your dream to be a captain uh, to get there. What? How do you go from the highest of highs to like the lowest of lows of being told oh. that you're no longer needed? What was that? Not necessarily needed, but for right now. Your services yeah. are not warranted. We do not need you right now. How difficult was that to either accept or to hear? Or was there a time where you almost didn't accept it, you know? It's it honestly, Justin, like it's I'm still processing all that. Like I don't think that's something that you just easily go through. There's a lots of tears. There's lots of ups and downs through through the summer. I think, you know. Being, you know, being able to be outdoors was a bit of therapy for me through the summer last year and able, being able to be outside. And I sort of started to process it by just busying myself. And I don't know if this is something that other pilots can relate to or people who are just, you know, a lot of pilots are type A. I'm sure you've probably noticed that through talking to, to them on podcasts, um, but just trying to focus the anxiety and the unknown and the, you know, having no idea where you're like, what kind of path you're going to go down. I tried to turn it into something productive, but it's, it's still something that I deal with, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's still really, really hard to, to go through. I don't think, you know, and, and, and not to take away from, from the experience, but I think going through the upgrade itself in that environment, because if you go back, you know, February, you know, March, April, those, those, months in our industry were extremely chaotic. They were, you know, lots of unknowns. We didn't know what was going to be happening. We didn't know how long this was going to last. So I had to really, you know, all of a sudden be a sort of a, a leader in my position with my flight attendants, with my first officers who they were, they were looking to me to have some sort of comfort when I didn't even know, you know, I didn't even have that comfort of what was happening. So the experience of the upgrade was a little bit perhaps different to maybe if that wasn't the environment that I had upgraded in. Um, and, you know, it, being able to celebrate the upgrade, like, don't get me wrong. I still have such good memories from it. I was able to fly with some awesome first officers for the short amount of time that I was a captain. So though those, those memories are still there, but it's still something that I think I'm processing in terms of, you know, having reached this peak in my 10 year, you know, aviation career to all of a sudden have it kind of tumbling down in front of me. Um, it doesn't go away. Obviously, like I still did achieve that, but 
it's a year ago now almost. So I'm, you know, like I said, I think I'm still processing that whole experience, um, to be able to learn from it and, and to make me eventually a better pilot down the line. When you were going, I guess when you're going through your training, did you think that it was going to be a chance that you might get furloughed? Like, was that kind of in the back of your head at all? Or was it not until they actually called you or sent you an email that you realized that this is a possibility and it's actually happening? Yeah, good question. So in February, I wasn't. It wasn't in our in our radar just yet. Um, and then I went through, we did like the Upgrade Sims um, and that experience was amazing. I had a fantastic partner, learned so much. We were still so focused on kind of the task and, you know, a hand, like the only thing that we could control. I don't think it was too, too much on our radar, but when it did start to become more of a reality was when I was going through my line and doc. Um, so for those who aren't in the airline world, you know, going through your line indoctrination means you're sitting in the left seat, you've passed your type rating, uh, as a captain in the simulator, but now it's time to, you know, go over the procedures for the line operations themselves. So you're sitting in the left seat as a captain, but you have another captain who's actually sitting in the first officer's seat, um, overseeing the procedures and making sure that, you know, your decision-making is sound, that you've got proper CRM and all that. And during those flights, already being as stressful as they are, then it started to become more of a reality. And the only thing that I could do at that time, because you're so saturated with the intensity of the, of the line in dock itself, the only thing I could do was just to try to get the, the plane from point A to point B. And it was only after the line in dock that it was like, okay, this is, this is a reality now. So yeah. And then unfortunately got, got the bad news in May. When you say you kind of like could see the writing on the wall, you're in the middle of your line in dock was flying stressful was flying a relief uh i know you kind of consider yourself probably lucky and you're very happy that you still get to do this or you still were able to do this but was it a sense of escapement from reality or actually doing it did you kind of was it more stressful and cause you to be more anxious because you knew maybe your time was running up or this was just in the future and coming yeah that's a great question i i think it was a mix of both because when you're witnessing the impact of it, it's a constant reminder. And what I mean by that is, you know, seeing the amount of passengers dwindle on your flights, like that's information that you're dealing with on a daily basis. You know, when it comes to your weight and balance purposes, your performance and all that, it's immediate. You can obviously see, you know, even just looking back in the cabin, you can see there's only five people on board or whatnot. So that aspect was definitely a reminder of the, of the situation. And yet when I was, you know, in the middle portion of cruise, when my line and dock captain was going over, you know, certain tips and tricks or, or feedback or whatever that may be, that portion of it was a relief. So I think it was a combo of both to answer your question, um, kind of seeing both sides of it, really. And you brought up a good point, kind of like you could see what was happening. Did, was there yes. a specific moment where it's kind of like in the States, I mean, you might even had it too. Like September 11th played such a huge part in everyone's life. Like everyone, at least that I know, knows exactly where they were on September 11th. Like they can recall it perfectly. Do you have a date where like, you're like, holy crap, this is real. Like this either is real, the yeah. virus or I furlough I, or anything like that. Sorry. Yeah. I cut you off there. I said, um, there was one moment that I remember specifically where we were, I think it was, like I said, in the middle of our 
potentially your line and doc, or I think I was already checked out as a captain at this point. I can't fully remember because it's all blurring together, but it was in March and, um, there had been talks with our union, of course, to essentially have some concessions, you know, being implemented on the working group to be able to mitigate the amount of pilots getting laid off. And I remember that instant getting somehow a mix of relief in the sense that although, you know, people who were going to be working, were going to have a lesser contract, which is, it's never ideal. Of course, we, we don't want that, but for the greater good, we had been able to save so many pilot positions. And I remember at that point, I was like, this is so real. It is happening right now. All of a sudden you start to figure out where you find, you sit on the seniority list, like where you find yourself and where that line's going to get drawn. And that moment made it very, very real. And the reminder that, you know, the aviation industry is so immediately impacted by these worldwide events. And it's crazy because like you said, you go from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. Like you literally just became captain. You probably just passed your yes. line check and then you're getting these emails like, hey, we might do concessions. You're like, all right, that's fine. I'll make a little bit of money. But you know, I just upgraded captain. I should be good. Like I feel bad for my friends. Then you get the email. It's like, well, this is what we we're able to work out. And you do the math and you see your seniority number and you're like, wait, what? Exactly. That's exactly it. So it was, again, because of everything happening, happening so quickly, you... And, and like the rush of emotions and everything that I was experiencing going through the upgrade. I mean, I, you don't get settled into those, these new roles for, I would, I would say, you know, perhaps maybe like six months or so, right? Like when you first get signed off as a first officer, it takes a decent amount of time before you truly step into your role and you get that confidence going and you feel, you feel good. You feel like it's kind of into a new rhythm. So I, I never got that as a captain because I only flew as a captain for one month. That's all I flew. I flew as a captain for one month and then got the layoff. So that whole whirlwind of emotions, like it never got settled. And then it was like one next thing after the other. So I do really hope, you know, in the future, it's not that the, my captaincy was taken away from me, but there is an aspect of me saying like, oh, I don't know if I can like call myself that because it was so short lived. You know what I mean? So I am very excited in the future as you know with airlines unfortunately when i whenever i do go back it will be as a role um as a first officer um and you have to go through those steps all over again unfortunately because of seniority so you don't just get to get slotted back in as a captain you get back as an fo and then you make your way back up so i I do hope that whenever that does come in the future it my experience will obviously have helped me no doubt but i do hope that it's a different environment and maybe a little bit less chaotic definitely looking forward to absolutely, that absolutely yeah hopefully the world will be more normal by then so, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. one can hope uh but who knows right like <laughs> we've all said probably would be we all had an idea in our mind be like yeah you know by summertime would be good and now it's like a full year and we're like okay <laughs> never exactly. mind this is life yep. yeah um talking about kind of identity before this did you identify like when you thought of yourself and what you did, when your friends thought of who Emily is, would the first thing they do come to mind? Would it be a pilot? Mostly? I, it's so funny because I'm sure that you've probably, you know, this discussion has probably happened with numerous people. I think a lot of us would say, oh yeah, there's so much more to me than being a pilot or being my career. And yet we are crushed all of a sudden when we don't have that association. So I think that's part of the processing still and, and, and letting go of, of that side of things not going as well as you perhaps thought, you know, it would be going and rebuilding 
or refocusing, I guess, the different aspects of my personality that I love and cherish that, you know, maybe you had to focus a little bit less on during, you know, the, the, the working towards your career of being a pilot. So yeah, I, like obviously nowadays you recognize, of course, there was a huge association to the identity of being a pilot um, because you recognize how crushing it is once you don't you don't associate it with it or you don't have it temporarily. So, yeah, un- unfortunately or fortunately, it's it's definitely there, whether you like to admit it or not. No, definitely. I mean, yeah, pilots like to think that they're more than pilots. But at the end of the day, it's like that's your main personality trait for 95 percent of us is like I fly planes. You know, you it's just like, love it so yeah. much. You just have such a passion. And it's so hard to just not have that anymore, because let's be real. Like in, for someone like yourself, you've been working to be in your position for so many years. And so it becomes such a main focus in your life, you know, automatically. And we're always told about how cyclical the aviation industry is. But at that point, even a year ago, no one really thought that it could, it would ever be like that ever again. Everyone would always tell people, yeah, but like the pilot shortage, so it can't furlough or there's no way airlines will ever go out of business and never not make money again. And then we were all wrong. So, yeah. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. We got, we got the slice of humble pie that, you know, maybe a lot of us needed. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Has this past year made you rethink kind of your love for aviation or want to continue to be an airline pilot? Or are you like, hey, call me back. I'm ready to go. Like, just let me know. Yeah, I thought about it a lot. Um, the In terms of like my love for aviation, it it's like a, I think it's a double-edged sword in the sense that I, this has confirmed to me that I want to continue doing this. So what I mean by that is like, I think this, this pandemic and and unfortunately multiple people getting laid off, it's given, you know, a lot of people the opportunity to reassess where they are in life. And maybe they were, you know, stuck in a nine to five that they really hated. They got laid off and then all of a sudden realized like, Hey, hang on a second. This is a perfect opportunity for me to start something else and go down the path that I really love because life is so short. So I feel like I've had that, but it's more so just like a confirmation of how much I do love aviation. So yes, to answer your question, I definitely want to go back. The only thing that it's, that this is the double edge, I guess, side of things. The only thing that it's made me really, you know, realize even more so than before is to have a backup plan, is to have some sort of you know, leg you can still stand on in the event that you get laid off or, you know, for other people, it might be losing their medical because that's, you know, still a reality, unfortunately. So it really did confirm to me the need to have something else be there in the background so that if this ever happens again, I am a little bit better prepared um, to to deal with the, the repercussions. Yeah. And it's like earlier when we talked about how we never thought this would happen again or furloughs would really happen. It's the same thing with backup plans. Everyone tells you that you need a backup yes. plan, but you're like, oh, cool. Like, I'm sure I could just figure something out. But it's a lot different when no one's hiring. <laughs> like, there is no backup plan. Every other, everyone's backup plan, what, every all your friends lose their job, like rest, you can't be a waitress, a waiter. Uh, like, you can't do anything. Like, the only option exactly. probably for you or for most people was to go on social media. Like, well, I don't know what jobs are really hiring other than maybe FedEx, uh, UPS, or some kind of parcel delivery, you know? 
Exactly. And that's the thing that sometimes, you know, those who are in the industry, I think, have the awareness of this. But, you know, people who aren't in the industry, sometimes I think, you know, maybe forget the amount of specialization that's involved with people in our position. Right. Like, you know, when someone becomes a surgeon, they are so trained into doing something so specific and they're so talented and they get so good at practicing what they do. You don't just transfer easily into something else. Now, your, your talents, you know, might translate to, you know, other, you know, qualities that are still useful in other industries, but it's not just a quick turnaround into immediately being able to do something else. So all of a sudden, as you said, you, you find yourself amongst many of your friends who are in the exact same scenario. And I don't know what it's like, you know, as much in the States, but in Canada, there was no jobs, like absolutely zero positions for people to get into. Um, so like you said, you, you really have to start brainstorming and thinking, okay, hang on, I've got no income, you know, no substantial form of income at this point. What the heck am I going to do to support myself during this while I have, you know, maybe no training or maybe you don't have some sort of other backup plan that you already had gone to school for or whatever the case may be. So it's a very, very, you know, sharp turn of events to all of a sudden have to reassess your life. Absolutely. And I know from recently, I, I feel like early on, did Canada kind of have a plan for for aviation employees that got furloughed? And I know there's some kind of assistance, but I know as of recently, you've, you've made an effort to try to um, tell your followers and influence and educate everyone that maybe they haven't done as much as they could. Is that kind of what's going on now? Yeah. Yeah. And we can, you know, dive into a little bit into what's kind of happening, especially for the Canadian industry. Um, but you're right. It's, it's at the beginning, we were getting support, um, from the government. They were essentially supporting the airlines, not the airlines directly, but the employees of the airlines to subsidize their income. So we were getting support from the government. And at first it was, it was decent, uh, like, you know, obviously, Obviously nothing huge, but it was obviously some sort of income to keep you going. And the nice thing with that income is that you could also then find your own support as well. So go out and find a side job or, you know, focus on a side business or perhaps make it a you know major source of income, but at least you could still have a combination of those income sources. Whereas if you go on um, unemployment insurance in Canada, that's your sole income source. So you're very, very limited. So it was really nice to have that option and, and support. Unfortunately, as the pandemic continued, the government was no longer able to continue supporting at that full amount that they were originally giving us. So it is now almost the equivalent to unemployment insurance. So it's not very much money. <laughs> um, again, the, the, the nice thing is that we can still support ourselves with, with outside income. The challenge now that Canadian industry is facing is that we have had no support to the airlines um, directly from the government. So, you know, there's tons of statistics out there and, and, and listeners can go in and fact check this, but the, you know, out of all of the G7 countries around the world, Canada hasn't received any support. So any direct support to the airlines. And as you know, owning and running an airline is there's a lot of money going in and out of pockets immediately, right? So all the aircraft that are being stored on property at the moment, all of the employees that are currently just waiting at home, not being able to get supported. There is just lots and lots and lots of expenses that are happening on a daily basis where we no longer, you know, the airlines are struggling. They're really starting to see the impact as we continuously shut down routes. We're continuously, you know, trying to control the, the pandemic within Canada by cutting, you know, 
routes and, and reducing the amount of traffic that we're creating. But unfortunately, what this is creating is an opportunity, naturally, for foreign airlines to, you know, fly the Canadian passengers that would typically fly on our own airlines. So we have a combination of no support from the government. And then on top of that, um, you know, the comp- the competition coming and swooping into, you know, this, this opportunity for them to continue flying passengers. So we're trying to raise the awareness right now to, to, you know, reach out to other Canadians so that they're aware of the situation because, you know, if you want to keep Canadian airlines within Canadian hands, um, we don't, we don't want to see our, our industry go to foreign investors or, or whatnot. So we're trying to reach out to governments. There's tons of call to actions that we've been involved in um, with the union. I'm part of um, with uh, my union um, as ALPA. And we're just involved with trying to just seek out, you know, more support and, and raising awareness for people to recognize, like, it's not just a tap that you can turn on and off. Unfortunately, it's you need to support um, those huge industries while this pandemic is happening because we're a large country. A lot of our ground cover is done through the airlines. So we're going to just keep pushing for it and hopefully something comes soon. Yeah. So what you're saying is airline, your, your airlines, um, Air Canada, WestJet. What are the are there? What are the other ones? I can't. Name That's it. the two main ones. Right, That's say, it. Really, those, those are the two biggest ones. And of course, we've got smaller ones. Um, and then Rouge is a part of Air Sunway. Canada, right? Sorry, Rouge is Air Canada, just like the low cost you version. Got it. All right. You got it. Yeah. So the bigger two tiers, as you said, were WestJet and uh, Air Canada. And then you've got some smaller subseries and small, some that are just more um, focused on, you know, business travel like Air Transat. They also do some destinations like along with Sunwing, et cetera. Okay. And then there's one, I can't remember what it is. I think it has like a polar bear, but they fly 737s to like the art. They're really cold areas. It's like white and black. Yeah. Oh, freak. Oh, there's I know. first air and then there's, um, Oh my gosh, it's blanking to me because I think we used to see them in Yellowknife, so I can't remember off the top. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to figure figure it out before the podcast is over. But <laughs> it's so funny. Um, yeah, that's weird. So the government is essentially saying we don't want to support the airlines financially, even though it's been proven multiple times that airlines and the aviation industry contributes a, a heavy, extreme amount to a country's GDP, which is Absolutely. interesting. To, to see that. And then, like you said, the airlines need money. Like there's no way Air Canada WestJet could stay in business for a full year without receiving any money. Uh, so exactly. that leads to exactly. what you said, and foreign investors, so, right? Exactly. And, and just to correct, you know, the government ha- has told us that they want to support us and that they are working on a plan to support us, but we haven't seen the result of that, which is what, you know, one of our, our campaigns is currently focused on. We've been waiting, you know, at this point, I think it's 313 days, um, give or take a couple of days as to the last time that we've been kind of told that we were going to get some sort of, pro, um, you know, support. And to make it clear for people like more, you know, airlines aren't looking for bailouts. They're not looking for just like a, you know, a situation where it's like an easy out. We're looking for, you know, low interest loans. We're looking for science-based approach to, you know, trying to contain the situation or vaccines or lockdowns or whatever it is. We're just trying to look for support in other means. And it's not just a quick sign off saying, yep, you're good to go. None of your debts matter. It's just, Hey, can we temporarily figure out a situation to help continue to support, you know, the Canadian, um, economy as well as Canadians in general. 
this is like the, the smallest, the small communities are the ones that are going to be and are currently most affected by this because aviation is the, for a lot of these uh, situations, it's their only means of, um, of travel and connection to the rest of the country. Yeah. I mean, well, Canada is just a massive country, like you said. Uh, exactly. majority of people are connected most likely, but there are, it's kind of like, uh, Alaska. Like there's some communities that solely rely on aviation. And if you start cutting exactly. that, or if you lose that, it could really affect a lot of lives and it could be, become pretty dangerous. I know Alaska had an issue. I don't, I think they're still defunct right now, but Raven air used to fly all throughout Alaska and connect all the communities. Uh, they went out of business or they, called off for a little bit. I feel like they might be back right now. I'm not 100% sure, but I mean, it left a huge hole for those small communities. They had a, they had operations where they would fly 206s, 207s and go to like the really really remote tribes, land on ice and all that kind of stuff and it was all just kind of gone. So, I mean, I, I can see that in Canada as well. It'd kind of be similar situations. Did the- and it's a very real risk. It's 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 immediate too. You see it, you know, occurring right away. Like where it's not just smaller communities. Where right now we're currently dealing with um, a lot of our northern communities that are cut off, but we're also dealing with the east coast um, that has maybe five flights, you know, going out of Halifax, which is one of our you know bigger international airports out east. Um, the amount of traffic that you, you know was happening versus what's occurring today versus like say 2019 is just it's it's dismal it's crazy and and th- those people still need to to travel <laughs> those individuals still have to you know go do their business trips or whatever it may be but in in the meantime while the, those flights are getting cut down we need that support so I'm just gonna just you know keep trying to get the message out and keep trying to support our union in, in that those calls to action. Have the airlines been able to kind of say who is investing or has it all been kind of like on the down low? No one really knows. No one knows. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, as, <laughs> as they're probably currently in, in open negotiations, I don't believe they can really share that stuff openly. So we'll have to see how things develop. That's yeah, interesting. That's it's kind of terrifying though. Right. But I mean, like at one yes. point, <laughs> at one point you're like, thank goodness someone's willing to give us money. But at the other point you're like, all right, no one just gives money out for free. Mm-hmm, exactly. Interesting. So yeah, I guess it's kind of a time game, you know, how long can the Canadian government wait and what games can they play to hopefully they can step in before it's too late. And someone's like, well, this person owns 51% of Air Canada now. So like, can't exactly. do anything. Dang. Yeah, that's crazy. It's, it's just really interesting to see the two different sides because it feels like uh, the, in the States, they've just been giving a lot of money to airlines and really showing some support. Now, I don't know if the aviation relationship to GDP is different between the States and airlines than it is Canada and airlines, but uh, it does seem like the government has been very, very willing. And some would probably say maybe too willing just to throw out money. I mean, cause right. I mean, money has to come from somewhere. So it is like a, it's like a double-edged sword. Like you said, like the, your government might be a little afraid to give out too much money. And then we're like, just throwing it out like it's candy, you know? So it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And and as you said, like it is for a country where we're so underpopulated, you know, in terms of the density, it, it does start to make a really, really big difference um, for, you know, how those airlines support the communities of, of Canada. So, again, we'll just have to keep keep putting our head down and keep working. If someone is from Canada and they're listening to this, because I know I can't really do much good other than maybe post about it and hope someone from Canada sees it because Canada doesn't really care what I think. <laughs> but someone in Canada... <laughs> of course we do. Yeah. <laughs> but someone in Canada that has the power to reach out to someone, is there steps for them to reach out? Is there any way Absolutely. for them to, to kind of raise awareness and hope? Uh, I mean, senator, governor, I don't know, province manager, yep. leader, assistant to the regional manager, whatever it may be, who do they need to reach out to? <laughs> 
<laughs> the governor's cat. Yeah. yeah. There's absolutely people you can reach out to. So the, the most impactful thing that you can do is reach out to your MP, like your local, um, your local MP. And that can easily be found through the, um, uh, just going online and, and searching up who your local MP is. You can just put in your, your postal code, which is your zip code in, in the U.S., but you can find your local MP and whether they're part of the opposition or currently in, in, uh, in power, they are responsible for bringing those concerns up. They are represented, you know, pre- representing you um, in the government. So raising awareness to your MPs, letting them know how this is impacting you, um, what you'd like to see in terms of Canadian support. Um, and we are, like I said, we are um, currently going through a call to action with a campaign with ALPA specifically. Um, and people who are not ALPA, who are not pilots, who are not, you know, part of the union, they can still absolutely uh, reshare, repost the call to actions that I've been linking on my Twitter. I've been linking on my Facebook, um, as well as my Instagram, and they can repost with the current minister of transport, as well as our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, to raise awareness that this is an important, you know, issue. And it affects every single person, because if you, as a Canadian, want to see Canadian airlines bringing you to these destinations, whether it's to go down South and go and hang out in Mexico for a little bit, or it's for business travel, you know, across the pond, going to Europe, whatever that may be. If you want to see Canadian airlines flying you to those destinations, that's the best way to, to get that support. Perfect. Well, you heard it here first. Well, not first, but you heard it here. <laughs> go, go do everything she just said. Go. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's important. Uh, Canadian airlines should stay Canadian airlines and they should keep flying their own routes and it shouldn't go to anyone else. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, going back to kind of like you and what you've been able to do during this, how quickly were you able to accept the fact that you're essentially lost your job? And to go on to social media and try to kind of promote yourself, be like, and then be happy and kind of like fully go after that because losing your job and especially we talked about how pilots are, are their personality is I'm a pilot. How, how hard was it for you to kind of transition into like happy social media? Cause you know, Instagram, it's all like, look at me, like my life's great. How hard or how easy was <laughs> yeah. that for you to tra- make that transition? Um, it was hard. It wasn't easy. I can't say that it was a fluid transition, but I think it was out of necessity at first. It was like, okay, there's no other, you know, opportunities right now. Let's see what we can make out of this. And to be perfectly honest, I, I hardly posted on on Instagram. Actually, I posted more so on on YouTube because I had a hard time showing up and just taking a picture and making the world, you know, think that I'm like loving this opportunity or like I'm loving the situation because the truth of the matter is like I'm, I didn't sign up to just be on YouTube and like be famous on YouTube or whatever it is that you know perhaps that might be your goal like that's not what I originally signed up for I was doing this as like a way to somehow give back to my community and connect with them but also support myself financially and Again, going back to what I was saying earlier, I think I turned into busying myself. It's it was the the way for me to focus the anxiety that I had or like the unknowns that I had into something that I knew I had, you know, control over. Like I could put out content and I could create this for myself and it wasn't gonna come from anybody else. So that transition was 
you know, again, a little bit challenging and I had my ups and downs. I, I think I, I think I burnt myself out in December not going to lie, <laughs> but, but I was able to just say, okay, let me do a little bit of research into YouTube. Let me see, you know, how I can perhaps create some success for myself. And then I just went to work. I just put my head down and I went to work and I, I put out a video every single week, um, from end of May until December, basically to try to, to support myself. <laughs> well, I'm glad it worked. Yeah, it's working. I think it's, it's, uh, it's stressful. And it's, again, I'm super, super grateful for this, you know, the, the situation that I am currently in, it could have completely flopped. It could have completely, you know, not gone the way that I, you know, it's gone above and beyond what I thought it could go. So again, it's, I'm super grateful for that. And I'm in a, a really, really good position. Um, but you know, I am also very excited to be able to go back to, to flying at my, my, my career too. What's the number one thing you learned about yourself in this whole situation? Um, I'm resourceful. I think that's the biggest one. I can, I can try to turn things around. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you're the one that creates, you know, your own future. You're the one that creates your life circumstances. And, you know, I've been given certain things. I've been able to be successful, but the number one thing I've, I've learned is, you know, you put in that hard work and you put in that discipline and you are able to basically do anything really, if you put in that, that, that effort. Yeah. No, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, once again, that's easier said than done, right? Like, I mean, uh, people can say that, but uh, it just comes down to you putting in the work and that can be really tough. Yes, exactly. And it's just like, you know, I heard you talking today on your Instagram story about like the, uh, embracing the suck. And I thought it was so pointed. I thought it was so on point with what's currently happening. It's like, okay, this is my situation. I can't change it. So what am I going to do about it? And just embracing the challenge and embracing, not knowing what the hell you're doing, <laughs> embracing, you know, the frustration that comes along with being so new at something and having the like things be so foreign. Like, I don't know how to edit. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how to put out a video. <laughs> like, I don't know how to do all that stuff. But, you know, you just put your head down and you're just like, okay, well, it's still up to me. I'm not going to get a handout. It's not just going to come from above, right? Yeah. Yeah, you just got to, you got to put the work in and learn and understand that it's part of the greater process. It's part of the greater, greater picture, I guess I should say. And uh, you learn as you go. Like, I mean, it's kind of similar with the podcast. Like, I didn't know how to edit a podcast. I didn't know how to do all this, but uh, and it's really interesting when you're, you're kind of forced to do something, you might have a little bit more of a fire lit under you, lit under your butt. Because like you said, this is all you had. Like, this is all you could do. There's no other jobs, nothing else you could do, but just figure this out. Uh, and you were Absolutely. able to figure it out. So. Absolutely. And congrats to you, by the way. Can we just take a pause here and just 30,000 followers on Instagram, 2 million plus downloads. That's okay. amazing. Just want to say congrats to <laughs> no. you as well for your podcast. I appreciate it. I'm just trying to be like you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I want to have a Twitch or I don't know if it's Twitch or YouTube stream where thousands of people come fly with me and you can't even see oh, a single plane. Oh my gosh. It's been a blast. It's, it's been, insane. That's probably my favorite part of the YouTube, um, like the YouTube community has been the the live streams that we've been doing. No, I mean, they look awesome. I need to, I still, I don't have flight simulator or a way to play it, but I want to just so I can come crash your stream and try to crash an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Thankfully crash isn't enabled. So we're good. You can fly anywhere you want around. It's fine. <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be fun. Um, what were we talking about? Uh, what was I going to go with this? Um, yeah, I mean, that was, those are pretty much, oh, there's one thing I wanted to say. All right. Um, let's say you are coming toward the end of your aviation career. We're back in the same spot. Like, oh, you'll never get furloughed. Oh, this will never happen. What 
advice would you give to someone that ha- that is getting ready to go through with what you just went through? Um, it could even be in the future. It could be just someone right now that's that's still stuck in the same situation. They're waiting for the government to come in and, and give some aid. They're waiting for more money. They're waiting for something. What would you tell either yourself or someone that's getting ready to go through what you just went through? Oh my God, what a great question. Um, I think the biggest thing is reach out for help. Get yourself some support. There is no, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If anything, it makes you so much, you know, more powerful as a human being to to seek out help. And that could be in a form of a seeing a therapist. I'm currently seeing a therapist. It could be in the form of reaching out to your family members. It could be reaching out to your union. You know, they have support for that kind of stuff. Uh, Reaching out to other people who are mentors, perhaps in the industry, who maybe they have gone through this in the past. And although it is very different and who knows what, you know, down the line, as we know, since this is cyclical, we don't really know what it's going to look like, right? Maybe it'll be similar, maybe not. But as you reach out to those mentors, they can still have some nuggets of hope in there and some some support, um, you know, for you so that you can better kind of get through this whole period and reach out to your partner, reach out to your pets, you know, reach out again, to reaching out to your friends, but letting them know that you're struggling is absolutely okay. And being vulnerable, it really kind of allows you to step into that power and saying, okay, it's shit. This sucks. This is not what I want to be doing. This isn't the situation that I'd imagine myself to be in, but be vulnerable, admit that to yourself that this is happening and then figure out what the next step is. Cause then you can really step into you, you know, the action steps that might help you move away from this or beyond this. That'd probably be the, the biggest thing I would tell myself at the beginning of this or to anybody else who's currently going through this. I guess I, I lied. I do have one or two more questions. What was your biggest fear at the beginning of all this? And what, and as this has progressed, has your biggest fear changed or has it still been maybe that one big fear that you had? Like maybe I'll never get this job back or maybe I'll never fly again. Or has that fear kind of progressed or kind of gone away now that you're kind of in this life? Like this is kind of normal almost by now. Right. Oh, you're hitting me with all these great questions. I got you. <laughs> um, right. Um, I think at the beginning, and this is a normal reaction to anybody, whether you're a pilot or, you know, just going just any other job, really financial, financial stresses are some of the biggest worries for very many people. And all of a sudden not having your job is, that's going to be the biggest thing that you kind of immediately see in terms of impact. Now, that being said, again, there are things that you can do to push beyond your comfort zone and, you know, maybe give yourself some sort of financial cushion or support. In terms of now, the biggest fear I think is is the industry. It's it's really really scary to be in the industry and and worry about the future of it, especially when we were doing so good in 2019. We were we were really on track to I think we were beating you know all records in terms of how well we were doing. And I do think that in terms of like flying, it's obviously going to come back. You know, people will want to come back. People want to travel. It's just like the Canadian industry specifically. It's just so dear to my heart. And that's my biggest worry at this point that it won't recover the way that we're hoping it it will. Yeah. I mean, that's a very valid fear. And it's really interesting how fears can change based on other circumstances. Like fear can be very immediate and kind of like your immediate problems. And then when you can finally understand what's happening, get a bigger picture, like, all right, well, my initial fear really wasn't as big as what like this overall fear is of like, what is going to happen to the Canadian aviation market? And will it be there? I mean, obviously there's still, like you said, people still need to be flown, but who's going to do that flying? What's that going to look like? 
Exactly. And it's the difference between the immediate acute fear versus like the chronic kind of ongoing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's really hard to take yourself out of a current situation and kind of like look, look at the big picture because obviously your immediate needs and your immediate wants and, and worries mean more to you than what say like your neighbor's worries, you know? So it's uh, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I try, again, try to go back to getting support and seeing what can be done and, and focusing on the action steps because a lot of it is out of our control. It's, it's above, it's so, you know, above us, but in terms of focusing on the little things that you can do, what is in control that you can change or the impact that you may have, that's the biggest thing that I'm focusing on, you know, these days. And it gives me a little bit more hope in that sense, because it's like, it's actionable things. And I can say, you know what, I'm putting the effort and I'm doing my part in trying to help this. Absolutely. I mean, that's all you really can do, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, my last question for you, thank you for just being so open, first of all, and just being always being willing to come on, uh, share your story. You might have to do part three when this is all over and be like, well, (laughs) aviation in Canada made it or it didn't make it, you know, like (laughs) I have a big cliffhanger here and just end it. And you're like, well, come back in three years and we find out if. (laughs) (laughs) And so much will probably have changed. It's going to be great to see. I know. Let's hope so. Maybe you'll have a million subscribers. I'll have like 35,000 by then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, last question. Uh, We talk about kind of, obviously you're in the industry, you're being affected. Talk about uh, the little girl or not even little girl, but to say some girl that's in high school that wants to do what you're doing and they're looking up to you and they want to be a pilot. Talk about how this affects them. What was your kind of recommendation? Would you still tell them to go for aviation or would you tell them be like, Hey, like you really need to make sure you want it. Right. I've kind of toyed around with this idea because I've seen other pilots kind of discuss it too. And it's such a good question. And it, it really it's so hard to say because obviously we don't have, I mean, I wish, I wish I could see into the future and figure out what the, what the heck's going to happen. But I think, I think the biggest thing of course is the passion. Like you really, really have to love, you know, aviation as a whole. And whether that means that you become a full airline pilot or whether that means that you do, you stay in aviation, you know, for just general aviation on the side, that passion is going to be there, no doubt. But in terms of getting yourself in the industry, especially in Canada, I would say, go for it. Like, I'm not going to stop anybody. And I don't never want to be that person that's just going to say like, ah, no, don't, it's, it's worth it. It's not worth it. It's, it's going to be shit for the next couple of years. Like it probably will. Let's, let's be real, but it's also your dream. I'm never going to be a dream crusher. No one wants it to be a dream crusher. So definitely go for it. Do your thing, but have yourself a backup plan have yourself a solid, you know, perhaps it's your education, it's a degree, have some sort of out an option that truly will be able to support you as you continue to, to dive into your aviation goals and dreams. Um, because you'll be able to be, maybe have a little bit more sanity at the end of it all. Yeah, <laughs> let's it. hope so. Right. <laughs> well, Emily, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I haven't really done like a check in with me podcast. So this is pretty much the first one, but Uh, Thanks so much for coming on again. Like I said, being so open. Uh, I look forward to having this out and people hearing your story and how it's evolved and and how you can face adversity and you can be okay. You know, you kind of just take it day by day, figure it out, put your head down, get to work and pivot. Like you said, it's like the Friends episode. You just got to (laughs) pivot. You just got to pivot. Exactly. Oh, thank you so much for having me once again. Yeah, anytime. I appreciate it.
And that is a wrap of episode 156 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. If you enjoyed Emily's episode, go let her know. Uh, flood her DMs, put on her comments. I just listened to your episode. It was amazing. Just let her know. Show her some love. It's been a rough year for people that haven't had any flying, uh, furlough. And as you heard in Canadian aviation, we need to do our part to help save and keep it Canadian. So whatever she said, the call to action, go do it. If you're in the States, send it to your Canadian friends that actually have the ability to invoke change and, and hope that it can stay Canadian. Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like I said, please leave a review, follow us on Instagram. And if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash pilot the pilot. Hope you guys are doing well and staying safe. And as always, happy flying.